I'm over here now. Pardon the interruption, no need for introduction. It's the drunken monk. Turn this shit up a little, son. My bucket up in smoke, sipping Bacardi till I'm giving my car keys to Jimmy Ferrari. And we out, about to go jump in a mosh pit full of hundreds of hot chicks saying something obnoxious like, I gotta put my foot in your ass permit. When I'm done, I'll cook you in a Brooklyn blast furnace. Over here now, episode episode one thirty two of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace. We are I don't even know where we are. We're in the cut. We'll say that. Yeah, no, it's a, TJ Burns is the name of this bar, but uh, we're not going to tell you where it is. No, it's in the cut. Yeah, it's a secret. It's a little secret that uh, <laughs> Luke from Wisdom and James put me on to. Mama Luke, shout out to Mama Luke Rhoda. Awesome little bar here that uh, the the local uh, transplants don't know about, and that's well, where we like to keep. Yeah. The hipsters don't know about this place. It's an old-style bar. It is very old-style. And we found a little nice, little cozy little booth in the back, yep. even deeper in the cut. The guy in the, the guy at the bar, the guy behind me came in and was selling up all his bets. He had all his boxes from the World Series. Oh, and really? He, he owed money <laughs> on them. So they're taking bets from people that they don't even take the money to set. <laughs> That's that awesome. awesome. Yeah, man. It's, not, it's far and few between that shit goes down Nothing anymore. Nothing like this in Manhattan anymore. No, not at all. Yeah, I had a mint. Well, by the way, can we still call you Mitch Madball? Of course. Of oh, course. Mitz. We... Uh, well, call me Mitch. Yeah, Mitch. The Mitch Madball. We'll call it. The, the new guy gets the Madball title. Right. Absolutely. Mike Canari. Nice. Well, thank you for your time, man. It was super easy to connect with you and, and make this happen. Yeah, man. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, it's cool for me to uh, do something like this. I don't mind. Yeah, just shoot the shooting, shit. Shooting the shit and, uh, you know, giving people a... Uh, update on what I'm up to, and right. you know I'm still here. Yeah, we'll try. We're gonna try not to go over the same stuff that you did with Toby. Sure. I just at least I re- listened to that like last week, and it was great. Yep. So I just you know he kind of you know he has like certain questions. I just bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's cool. On my way here because I work in Midtown Manhattan. I work on 42nd and Vanderbilt. I was almost late because I like to be very punctual, but complete and utter shit show. Somebody got hit by a train somewhere in Brooklyn, oh, so there's wow. all kinds of delays and this and that. So, and then finding this place was a little bit of a mission, but yeah. now we're in here and we're settled. Thanks for the ginger ale, yeah. by the way. Cheers. Cheers. So, uh, yeah, so let's let's take it back. Like I said, I don't have questions. We'll just take it back. We'll just shoot the shit. Where, like, uh, you grew up in New York, kid? I grew up in Long Island. Okay. I grew up in Long Island out in uh, Huntington. Okay. And um, found my way to the city. At, you know, in my early teens, mm-hmm. started going to shows. Um, you know, I, I was a metalhead from the start. Me, me too. Yeah, man. And, Absolutely. And then I found hardcore from there. Same here. And, you know, so I was going, when I was in my, you know, like mid-teens, 14, 15 years old, I was going to, you know, your Metallica, Iron Maiden, Ozzy Osbourne, all those concerts. Sure. And then... Around that time, I got put on to hardcore from a couple of people, and next thing you know, I'm going to Sunday, Sunday matinees at CBGB's, mm-hmm. and, and uh, whole different when, world. Yeah, man, it was like it was so crazy. Like you know, do one 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 week, you'd go to an arena show, you know, twenty thousand people, mm-hmm. and then the next Sunday, I'd be down at CBGB's, you know, with a hundred people there. Yeah, people forget like the Sunday matinees when they when I first started going, nobody knew about that shit. Those those shows were empty. Yeah. And then it started to blow up around, like, mid to late 80s. Right. I remember, like, 
I remember Murphy's Law being probably the first show that I saw there where there was a line. Really? Because they had just come off tour with the, I think it was with the Beastie Boys. Uh, um, oh, so we're talking early. It was like 87. Yeah. 87 or 88. It was the first, Murphy's Law, Murphy's Law and Agnostic Front were the first two shows I saw at CBGB's where there was a line. Oh. Like, and uh, not even a line, like just a free-for-all to get in. Yeah. Like a big mess, like. Wrapped around the block, yeah, well, too. At first, at the first, they didn't even, I don't know whether they'd done that before, but like the first time, I remember the, the first one was AF. I remember seeing AF there um, in 87, and there was, it was just like this mass of humanity crammed into the front door. Hell there was yeah. no line. It was just like whoever pushed and shoved to the front. <laughs> yeah. And then by that Murphy's Law show I'm talking about, they had got the, uh, the barricades to make a line go down the block. Yeah. And they were like those blue police ones. How the hell they ever got those on? <laughs> I don't know. I remember seeing that. There's like pictures of that in magazines from like way back um, of that line. And it would wrap around the block. And then um, so... It started getting really crowded in there in the in the late eighties. Yeah, but uh, yeah, going back to what I was saying, the, the contrast of going to like a show at Nassau Coliseum or Madison Square Garden. Oh yeah, and then two nights later being at CB's or being at uh, you know Lemoore in Brooklyn or you yep. know those kind of shows. I that would, was I my would spot. Go to. Yeah, man, a Brooklyn guy. It was my first ever show. Anthrax. Yep. Yeah, Among the Living Tour or something yep. like that. Crazy. I saw that show. Yeah. If it wasn't the same show, I saw that tour. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, so you're a metalhead. A lot of people, you know, there's the two ways that you get into it. There's the punk rock way and then there's the metal way. Yep. I had an older sister who was into all that crazy hair metal and stuff yep. like that. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, this I had enough of, you know, Bon Jovi. You know what I'm saying? So then, like, And then, like, I went to this place called Ciro CD Cellar. It was in Canarsie. And he had, like, all this other crazy shit. So I'm like, all right. So I listened to, like, the old Testament and Ride the Lightning sure, and stuff yep. like that. And so I was the metalhead all the way. Went to Lamore's to go see Suicidal, found leeway, and then it was off to the races yep. from there. Yep. It was crazy. Everybody has their way in. Oh, yeah. And everyone remembers that. They, everyone knows their little pivotal point. Mine was at that Lamore show with leeway opened up for Suicidal. Yep. And I've heard of them, but and then Eddie came out, like, without the gimmicks, you know what I mean? Because, you know, metal, there's, you know, Kerry King with the spikes, and there's all this craziness. Yep. And here comes, like, Eddie with, like, knee pads and, like, this little skinny guy. And all of a sudden, they play Rise and Fall, and this place erupts into this crazy shit. Yep. And I'm like, I got something. I just found something here. I, I think that Leeway was, like, the authentic anthrax. Like, right. you know, like, anthrax was dipping into all this hardcore street vibe and cred, but they were fucking bunch of phonies. <laughs> right. You know Absolutely. What I mean? Like, I can talk shit on them. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, I was a fan. I still and, love those first few records, though. Yeah, I generally don't. I generally don't. Um, don't talk shit on anybody because right. I, I respect. I, I certainly respect what they accomplished. Um, but you know, you, you hear that term cultural appropriation. Oh, sure. And they're the kings of that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, they took the they took this the mosh symbol and the and the you know the New York hardcore symbol and, and the whole all that stuff that just like. They had nothing to do with that. They yeah. started putting it out. And the problem was that, you know, at their size and popularity, you know, this huge amount of their fan base thought that they were inventing that stuff. Right. Oh, yeah, mosh and, you know, stage diving and, yeah. and you know, dancing and, and all this stuff. is That's anthrax, right? No. Those War guys, dance. You know, those Indians. Guys, those guys took it. And, and um, 
the culmination of it was the stories, the urban legend about how they tried to copyright the New York hardcore symbol. Right. I can't tell you if that's true, but I sure as shit remember a T-shirt of theirs Absolutely. having that on the sleeve. Absolutely. And I'm like, and I'm 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 16 years old, and I'm hip enough to even know, like, wait a minute, yeah, that ain't your yeah. shit. Like, you didn't come yeah. up with that. That's, you know, it's not crazy to do with you guys. A couple weeks ago, I saw Slayer at at the Garden. Yeah, yeah. Great fucking show. Yeah. So I'm there, and of course you have all the old school, you know, metalheads there. And I'm walking, and I see somebody with an anthrax back patch, yep. and it had somewhere on there was the Neil Conklin symbol. Yeah. Yep. And I looked at it, I was like, oh man, I didn't yeah. say anything. I was just like, I noticed it, and I just like kind of rolled my eyes a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah. but I, you know, Anthrax was. A, I still to this day, the first three records are yeah are, are rock solid, and this great riffing and oh sure. great songwriting and whatever. I just. And the then, cultural appropriation. And, I will, and I will talk a little shit. Like, you know, the only times I've ever crossed paths with Scotty, and he's been a miserable piece of shit. Right. You know? Yeah. I've never gotten a fucking smile out of that guy. I've, I've I've tried to engage with him, like, once or twice over the course of my musical career, and he's yeah. just, a, just a fucking stiff. Is he? Guy's I ass. never met him. He's a miserable piece of shit. I've always heard things about that, but yeah. I never met him. So you know, know. And whatever. Maybe somebody thinks that about me. Right. Who knows? Right. But you know, when you when you make one or two impressions on somebody yeah. and they're both bad, then uh -huh. they think of you like that. That's sure. why I always try to be a good guy. You know? I always try to I try myself take time and, you know, be friendly to people. Right. Yeah. Like there's you're being friendly to me right there, now. Yeah. There's your there, there's your uh, there's your me talking shit. <laughs> a little shit talking about anthrax. Yeah. That's awesome. So what got you like what were you listening to? Like what was like the music like in the background in your house, like when you were a kid? I always like to ask people that because I find that, I don't know. It's... I was really lucky that I grew up in a very musical household. My, right. mother, my mother was a music teacher. That's awesome. And, um, and my father was a big music fan. And so I grew up with, my mother was, My mother had Beatles records and Rolling Stones records. Yeah. Um, the Eagles and uh, Joe Walsh and stuff like that. And my father was big uh, Bob Dylan, which never, I never took to that. But my but the first initial stuff that made an impression on me was the Beatles and the Stones. I remember waking up in the morning on like a Saturday when we didn't have school, and my mother'd be sleeping in. She was a school teacher, so she didn't have uh, you know she had Saturdays off as well. Mm -hmm. And I'd wake up early and be listening to those records on the yeah. headphones on the record player, and like that sparked it right there. Yeah, like I, you know I was fascinated by the Beatles and how they they were you know the the whole like cult of them and the Beatlemania. And sure. I still love the Beatles. And how they exploded. And my mother, you know, I remember just picking her brain day after day. Like, whoa, so, oh, so he plays the drums. And that guy sang. And he played the bass. And they played the guitar. And, and how did they make this music? Oh, they yeah. recorded it. Like, that's how we listen. And, like, just that was my one-on-one -on -one into music. Yeah. And learning about it. I remember her telling me about how, what, what recording is like. And, like, explaining that stuff. And, um... So it went from there, and then, like, I started to discover some of my own harder rock stuff just from MTV, you know. Sure. As far as our generation and our subculture goes, metal and hardcore never really had a place on MTV. No. But it it did give rock a huge voice. So, like, sure. I don't know what, you know, I guess generations before me, before MTV, found everything through the radio. Yeah, um, but I found stuff through through MTV. Oh, you know, me too, absolutely. Seeing well, Headbangers Ball, but even before that, even before I'm talking that. like the early MTV. I'm right. talking when I'm like 11 years old. You would have like maybe Van Halen. Yeah, you'd see Van Halen on there. You would see uh, 
um, I'm trying to get real, real early, like some of that classic rock stuff. Like you would see possibly, s- you you might even see like an old Black Sabbath sure, video. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. But the, you know, it's like that was your introduction to like group and album oriented rock. Yeah. On there, and there was also the pop stuff, which I. I at the time I hated it. Now right. I, now I look back on it. And it's, yeah, I like so many different stuff. Yeah, of course. Um, so then I started listening to some of my own stuff. I remember being in that band Sticks. Okay, um, that was like they have a few jams. That might have been like the first <laughs> rock band that I listened to by finding them myself, and I and I found them on MTV. Right, and I was like, all right, that's the first thing I listened to that my mother didn't listen to that I just found that on my own, and then after that was Iron Maiden, and then it was. Uh, off to the, the races. Yeah, off sure. to the races, exactly. Nice. Then I, I found Iron Maiden, and it, that just changed my life. Were I they was, your first live concert ever? No, my first live show I ever saw was ACDC. Okay. I was supposed to see Maiden. This is a cool story. Right. I was supposed to see Maiden at um, uh, Radio City Music Hall okay. in 85, and they booked, they did like six nights there, or seven or nine nights or something they booked at Radio City Music Hall, and... After, like, the third or fourth show, they had come back. They had just flown into New York from, like, South America. I think yeah. it was, like, Rock and Rio or something. Okay. So they went from, like, you know, 90-degree temperatures to the middle of a January New York Oof, New York yeah. winter. And they all got dog sick. And they ended up canceling the last bunch of shows. So I had tickets. My first show would have been that Maiden show at Radio City Music Hall. And I, it got canceled. Uh. And I ended up seeing... the. The ACDC show I saw like three months later. Okay. And I saw Maiden within a year of that. But the cool story about that was I was lucky enough to be backstage at a Maiden show at the Garden in uh, 2008. And they were doing kind of like the redux of that tour. They were doing the Power Slave tour. Okay. Which is the show I was supposed to see. And um, a, Crazy. Good, a good friend of ours works for them. And brought me back and I got to meet a couple of the guys and it was cool. It was like kind of a full circle moment. Yeah, man. I was like, hey, I was supposed to see this tour back when I it should have been my first 30 show. years ago. Exactly. Yeah. And, but, I, you know, you guys were sick and it's so cool to see it tonight. Did he remember that at all? Did they remember that? that? Oh, yeah, they remember that. They did? Okay, yeah, that's absolutely. cool. That's kind of like big maiden history that yeah. that Radio City run because that's not a normal venue for no. heavy metal bands. No, play. especially seven, eight, nine yeah. nights in a row. That's no, crazy. The fucking Rockettes. Yeah, like man. Yeah, but they is. were doing concerts there back then. Yeah. But uh, not, not a lot. Shit. So what made you pick up a guitar? Was that your first ever instrument you picked up or I, no? No, I played I played uh in, in elementary school I played the trombone. Okay, okay. And, and that was the bass clef. Uh if you know music, it's there's the G clef and the bass clef. Right. It's a lower register. I know a little bit, not much. And so I wanted a I remember seeing a band uh play one time in the park by my house or something and telling my mother, like, hey, I'd like to start playing some guitar. Like that looks cool. And she, her telling me, well, you already read bass notes because of the trombone. Right. You got to play the bass. And so she steered me towards that. So my first instrument was the was the bass. Okay. And then I picked up the guitar after that, like within a year or two. Yeah. So I still to this day, I play bass. But you self-taught? Or you, I mean, yeah. You said, yeah. Everything. No lessons or anything like that? Never took a lesson. So you just, so you basically, I mean, you you have natural talent then. Because I, I tried oh. several times. To pick up a guitar, it's like my my hands don't bend that yeah. way. I'm yeah. like a spaz when it comes to it. Sit behind a drum kit, it's yeah. like it's a shit show. Yeah, yeah, you know, I guess I was lucky enough to come from a music family and and have 
you know, my mother was there. She didn't play guitar or bass, but she kind of gave me guidance on, on, you know, with in terms of developing my ear yeah. and just, you know, like having a musical sensibility. Um, yeah, I was lucky. I, you know, I never, I'm still to this day, I'm not a technically accomplished player, but my ear is what's has been my my moneymaker. That's been the thing, like, you know, I take a lot of pride in the fact that I've been asked to play for bands before where I got uh, a week's notice and I learned an entire set in three days. Wow. You know, that's my one thing. I can't run up and down the neck like uh, Yngwie Malmsteen. Right. You know, I can't uh, play the blues. I can't play jazz. But I can play metal and hardcore, yeah. and I can learn your fucking song <laughs> in about five minutes. If right. You give me, if you give me a little time, I learn it real fast. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I have the, the that gift as well. Right. Huh. So what was your first ever, like, what was the first band that, well, every a lot of people usually have a band that, like, they never released any music, or they never played, play, like, one or two shows. Do you have any of those bands? Played, with, the, with the really cheesy name? Yeah, The yeah. hacky name? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going into it. Oh, uh, come on, man! All right, I'll say this. I was, my, my high school... My high school metal band was called Silent Fury. Of course, it was. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that was my uh, that was my band, and we, you know, we it started off being like you know playing the talent show and people's parties and stuff. Yeah. And then there was a couple of guys that kind of fell off by the wayside, and I went out and um got like some more serious people, and we worked our way we worked our way to a decent level of. You know, Long Island club scene. You know, we were playing a regular, you know, once a month or so at like uh, places on Long Island. If anybody out there remembers February's, okay, place called the Stage Door, a uh, place called Sparks. Um, I'm trying to remember. There's a place called um, Heaven that was in uh, <laughs> near us. The the highest thing we ever reached was uh, we played Sundance okay. on Long Island. We played there at least once or twice. Um, you know, and we we were you a hardcore it. band. No, it was a metal band. A metal band. It was a metal okay. band, and you know, we we made a demo tape, and 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 we you know we print the screen in our own shirts, but it got to the point where do you it, still have a copy of that demo? He somewhere. You somewhere. do. I don't know if anybody's getting that. No, we'll see. It's not on YouTube we'll yet, see. anyway. We'll see. <laughs> uh, Ten years ago, I would have never even disclosed this because you don't want anybody hearing your your early shit. Yeah, you, but who cares? By it, but I don't care. No. Hey, you kids! But uh, Silent Fury. Yeah, man. exactly. But um, so <laughs> we uh, we kind of peaked at one point where we were drawn like friends. You know, you're just getting your friends to go to the show. Sure. Like, and I remember playing a couple shows where we brought out you know a hundred kids or something like that. And then it started to ebb the other way a little bit, and I remember playing a show one time where we literally, like, you know, we were at the bar. I mean, we were playing, and there was the people at the bar look, looking at the bartender, right. not even looking at the stage, yeah. and that was it. Yeah, yeah. There was four people in the whole place, and I remember being up there going, like, man, that's yeah. it. I'm done with yeah. this. Yeah. And I did, and I kind of faded out for a while, and I just focused on my career for a while. I was working in a recording studio and I was working as a stagehand like I do now and and then um there was a little gap there and then I ended up playing my first um band that I was tell the the difference between that and what I ended up in is that I, we didn't have to ask friends to come see us. Right. And that was I ended up with Isaac playing in Crown of Thorns, in which was like the last incarnation of that before we made Scarhead. Right. So 
And that was uh, that was the first band I got into where, wow, you know, these guys have gigs. Like we're showing oh, up, and there's, yeah. there's so, you know, there, there's a sold out show we're playing. Yeah. So what what year is this about? That was this not, is 90, 97. 97. Yeah, ninety seven. Okay. So this is anthematically vexed. Yeah, yeah. Which is a funny note is when I was working at my recording studio, I was doing some, I was sneaking bands in there at night. Um, you know, I was just a, a gopher there. I was making coffee and vacuuming and yeah. answering phones and and learning as well on my own time. But you know, I was I was a low level, you know, general assistant they call it. But I would get bands in there at night. You know, when there was no session, it was the room was dark. I'd sneak bands in. Not sneak is a loose word because the owners kind of knew. Yeah. But they just looked the other way. Like, yeah. So long as the place looks. The way it did, you know, when we walked out of here, yeah, better not leave, right. yeah. you know, you're allowed to do some stuff. So um, I did a demo there with uh, Dark Side, New York City. Okay. I did uh, some Sub-Zero uh, demo stuff there. Nice. Um, I did First Sub-Zero demo? One of, the, one of them. Not, they, had, they had a 7-inch before that. This was like 93. Yeah. Um, did like some, somebody else, some dude, I don't even remember the name of the band, some, some band metal project and whatever. But during that time, I remember Mike Dijon talking to me like, hey, I heard that you got a studio and you're doing stuff. So the Crown of Thorns, they were supposed to come. I barely knew. I don't know if it was Dijon or if it was maybe somebody in Sub-Zero that was being the liaison between us. But there was talk about Crown of Thorns coming there right. and me recording them. And then it didn't happen. And then they ended up getting signed and doing the two records. Right. Um and then later on down the road, I ended up playing guitar for them. Nice. You went on tour with them for a while. We, did, we wasn't tours. I never did a tour with them, but we did like it was weekenders by that point. Yeah. Anything were, overseas with them or no? No. Okay. No. Just uh, remember doing like like three or four day weekend with Sick of It All. Um, so it was a good time. Yeah, that was a, that was cool. That was the first time I was like, wow, man, this is cool. Like those guys are in a bus, and yeah. these are big venues we're playing. Like it yeah. was my first real experience of playing like legit big you know decent sized venue shows yeah, with like a professional band yeah, and exactly. like everything you know yeah, yeah well-oiled machine having a set list every night and you know going <laughs> through the stuff and you know staying in hotels you know even though it was only three four days it was the longest i've been on tour sure for. man so, but i thought you need to take that no no no, 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 no just checking it yeah so 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 that lasted about how did you you didn't record anything with them though. no Right. So that that went that went for about like six months. Okay. And then we then Isaac had a meeting with um Tim Borer and uh Kenny Gabor, Vaughn Lewis, the, these dudes that are all uh strong management. That was what they're called back then, but I don't they're still using the name strong. But these are guys that are still in the industry today. Yeah. They were managing and they had the idea like, hey, that Scarhead EP had been out for a couple of years. Right. That was um Isaac, um, Dijon, Hoya, uh, Dimmy, Toby sang on it, um, and whatever that's like five songs or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And um, that had been out for a while, and then they had done a couple other songs on the New York Hardcore compilation. Yes. And so the, there was kind of a buzz going on. I remember playing in Crown of Thorns and everybody being like, Everyone asking Isaac, like, yo, what's up with Scarhead? What are you going to do some Scarhead shit? Scarhead shit. And it kind of put that worm in his ear. And um, they had the idea to, the management talked to him, like, let's do Scarhead. Let's make that a real band, not a side project. 
and um, you know try to blow it up, try yeah. to really strike gold with it. And um, so the Crown of Thorns lineup at that point got absorbed into Scarhead. Gotcha. Um, it was me on guitar. It was uh, Goat on drums. We had uh, originally it was supposed to be Aaron playing bass, but Aaron couldn't do it. White Owl. At, right, White Owl. Right. And then um, our boy Little Tony ended up playing bass for the, the original, the first full time Scarhead lineup. Right. And Lou DiBella from Sub Zero was the yeah. other singer. And then, you know, it was a three, four year period we were doing Scarhead where. Um, you know, the lineup changed a million times because people were in and out. I of was course. doing I did it for four years. Right. Uh, the, did you record anything with Scarhead? Yeah, I did that first full length. The full length. You're a crime. crime. Right. Yeah. That's what I thought. I did that. Um, we, uh, that was crazy. I could tell some stories about that. We did all podcasts. We did uh, Ezek's podcast where we Diablo's Den yeah, podcast. We talked about that. Did you? I got to go re listen. That record was nuts. There was, there was, you know, we were literally writing stuff. You know, in in the studio as they're putting the mics on the drum set, nice. we're writing stuff like on the drive up. We're making stuff up as we're going to breakfast in the morning. <laughs> nice. like we were all sleeping in that studio. Nice. We were very unprepared, like so many bands are. But it turned out to be it's a bro. It's a classic record Thank at this you. point. Thank it you. is. No, no it's, it's it came out great. Yeah, and it had an element to it that was like you know he went out and got everybody under the sun to do a guest vocal. Yeah. You know, there's Blood Clot on that, there's Scully on that, <laughs> yeah, man. there's Toby on that, there's Carl from Earth Crisis on that, uh, you know, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was the first record I ever recorded. Nice. And that was the first time I ever went on tour with that band. Like, you know, we did the first, we... It's not too shabby. Yeah, but we the first tour I ever did was, was insane. It was Hatebreed, Scarhead, Oof. Earth Crisis, Madball. Jesus Christ. And it was five weeks. And we did two weeks before it with just Scarhead and Hatebreed. So wow. it was seven weeks. And then we went across the country. And we went across the country with that run. And this is what year about? Not 98. Oof. Okay. Seven. My first time on the road nine, was uh, was seven weeks. Jesus Christ. I snapped. And I didn't did not, you? I, I, of I course. Well, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know. How to That's culture shock, man. Yeah, I was in the back of the van, like, popping clonopins like M&M's. And it was... I was a fucking mess. Yeah, I, it taught me. It taught me how to tour. Of course, with, with a lot of help from my bros. You know, the dudes that were on that tour with me kind of took me aside, and they they saw me starting to snap, and uh, you know, they kind of showed me the ropes a little bit. Like, hey, you gotta you gotta pace yourself, dude. You can't be, you know, pouring beer over your head all night, right. every night, and, you know, wilding out. And, you know, it was. You know, you were trying to live the dream. Of course, you know, you and you're are. trying to act the role. Yeah, and then and then like about two weeks in, I just remember getting like, you know, brutal anxiety attacks, and panic attacks, and like wanting to go home. It was also homesick. Of course, you know, and man. I didn't realize it at the time, but I'd never been away from home that long. Right, but that was you know, I got that out of the way. Yeah. So there was no Europe at this point yet. No. Okay. First Europe I ever did, we um, Scarhead went to. Uh, so that was ninety. Uh, let's think now. That was ninety spring ninety eight. Um, we I think it was the fall of ninety nine. Uh, the summer of ninety nine, we went to we went to uh, Belgium, 
for uh, this thing called the Door Fest. Okay. Which is a massive festival to this day. They yeah. still do it every year. Yeah. Um, it's all kinds of music. They have like eight stages of yeah. like pop and rap. It's and weird, right? Hip-hop but they love them. They embrace all that shit. Yeah. Over there, which is great. And there was a hardcore stage on that. That's awesome. And we headlined that hardcore stage that year, summer '99. And then we came back a couple months later, and we did our my first full Europe tour, and that was another one like. Baptism by fire. Yeah. We did five fucking weeks. We did five weeks in Europe. In a van? In a van. Fuck that, brutal. man. Brutal, I would have been snapping. Yeah, it was crazy. But, you know, it was it was the, one of the best experiences of my life. Oh, of course. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, getting to go places that, you know, people never get to go. It was, never. It was awesome. So. Fuck. So now, in between all of that stuff, well... When did you join... You were in Madball for, what, like 16 years? Yeah. So you joined Madball in about what year? So when Scarhead was starting to wind down a little bit for me, and, you know, Scarhead's had many incarnations. Yes. This particular one that I'm talking about, around 2000... Or we, we did a, you know, another Europe tour in 2000, and then 2001, we started to slow down a little bit, and right. we weren't doing so many shows. And that was the time when... Freddie and Hoya with Madball had had some lineup issues. Yes. With their guitar player and, and drummer at the time. Right. And they decided to call it quits. Mm-hmm. They said they were going to break the band up. Right. And I reached out to Hoya and I said, hey, man, like, don't, you know, if you're going to break the band up, like, don't do it because you don't have somebody. Like, um, hey, I, I can jump in. I can play this stuff for you if you need. You know, I could jump in, help you out. And at first he was like, no, we're done. That's it. You know, we're, it's over. Uh, you know, this is 2002. This is 2000. This is around 2000 into 2001. This is right around January of 01, I think. Okay. And so, so a little bit of time went by, and then spring of 01, I got a call from him, and he's like, Hey, uh, we got an offer to do Europe. Do you want to do that with us? We're going to do Europe, and then we're going to break up. But, huh. but if you want to come with us, that'd be great. So I was all about it. I was like, yeah. oh, this is great. Awesome. All right, you know, sign me up. Learn that set in five minutes. Yeah, I learned the set in a week. You know, yeah. I came down to practice. And with Matt Henderson was kind of like overseeing, making sure that stuff sounded right. Matt right. was still living in New York. Okay. And we had the, um, this drummer, Rajan, uh, from New Jersey. He played. He was the drummer for that tour. We did Europe. We did a Europe farewell tour. What was supposed to be a farewell tour. Right. And then when we were on the Europe tour, they got an offer to go to Japan. And so that, we did a quick, like, three-show Japan run. Was that your first time in Japan? That was, no, I'd been there with Scarhead. Okay. I'd been there with Scarhead. Heard it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. It's like, it was awesome. Especially going back to the 90s. Hardcore was huge back then. Yeah. Um, And uh, so, yeah, we did the Japan thing. We did a CBS show that was like the last CBS show. Yeah. And then it was over. And yeah. we, you know, we called it a day. And in that time, um, Scarhead kind of, I think we did one Scarhead tour during the time that Bad Bull was broken up. We did because it's funny. <laughs> Hoya wasn't doing anything. I said, hey, we need somebody to play bass. All right. Tony can't come on this. Why don't you come with us? Yeah. I had to coax him into it. But we did a lineup. <laughs> we did a lineup that was prototype Bad Ball. It was right. Me on guitar, Hoya on bass, and Riggs playing oh, drums shit. for Scarhead. Okay. And that ended up being, so it all ties together. So then we did a Europe tour, festival tour with Scarhead. And then the, at the end of that year, that was 02, 
at the end of that year, I remember seeing Freddie at Stevie's at like an H2O show, and we're down in the bar, and he looks at me, and he whispers in my ear, he's like, Kel, don't sleep on Bad Ball. I was like, whoa, what are you, yeah, oh, whoa, dude, I thought, you, yeah. I thought, you, I thought <laughs> we were done here, and he's like, ah, you know, whatever, and then sure enough, uh, he called me like a couple of weeks later, he's like, ah, I got this band I want you to play guitar for. I'm like, hey man, there you go. anything you say, I'm thinking he's got some side project. He's like, yeah, it's called Madball. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, oh fuck, yeah, here we go. Let's do this. That's awesome. And so it took off from there, and then you know, yeah, 15 years, 16 years, which is bonkers. So now, I know that Madball has always been busy from that point on, like crazy. So it's like, where did, where does Hazen Street and Ragmen tie into this stuff? That's a, good, did, that's a good. That's a good. That's a good analogy too, because the Ragman and Hazen Street were both the same year, because it was like they had um, they were doing the Hazen Street thing, and it kind of all of a sudden Mabels hit the brakes because right. they were dedicated to that. Right. And I'd been working on the the Ragman thing for a while, so that gave me the opportunity. And Rig was playing drums for Ragman as well. Right. So we did the Ragman thing during that time, which is I think is a very under, I wouldn't say underrated because people who know know, but it doesn't get the shine I think it deserves. Oh, thank you. Because it's a fucking incredible record. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. You know that was that was a was a cool project. It was a, a ton of riffs I had that never would have fit with Scarhead and never would have fit with Madball. Right. And it was you know it was a whole different vision than those than those bands. Yeah. And um, yeah, we we made it happen. Me and Rick. Uh, up at his father's house, upstate New York, we would go up there on, on weekends and just kind of hammer them all out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was. I'm, I'm I'm proud of it. Did you, you guys tour or anything? Yeah, we did it? some did runs. You, I never seen you guys. I never seen Ragman live at all. Yeah. And I don't know why. We did some runs for a little while. It was, um, we did. I'm trying to think. We went out with a band. We did a U.S. run about two weeks. We started in Alabama and we went to Cali. And then we came home from there. It wasn't like a full U.S., but right. was, we got to the coast. Um, we went to Europe for like a weekender. We did like what was supposed to be one of those uh, European hardcore party festivals, but it got canceled. Uh, but we did like four shows over there. Okay. And then we would do, you know, a bunch of weekenders. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Um, we did some Blood for Blood stuff Fuck. with those guys. We played like one of those Florida fests. Uh fuck if I can remember. Yeah. Uh, but then, after about four or five months of that, um, they ended up needing, so they were doing the Hazen Street at the same time. Right. They ended up needing somebody to come on tour. They were they were, they were were doing Warp Tour. Okay. And the guy that That's they right. had, so the Hazen Street thing with them was, um, you know, it's Freddie, it's Toby, um, Mackie on drums, yeah. um, Hoya on bass. Dave Kennedy was the one guitar player, and the guy that was the impetus for it all was Chad Gilbert from Newfound Glory. Right. He he, I shouldn't say he wrote he wrote the beginnings, and then they all worked the songs together. Right. I think it, you know originally it was like oh this is Chad's music, but they all worked the music together. Sure. But Chad, because of Newfound Glory, couldn't do the shows. So in the beginning, they had a couple other people that it, other people had suggested. And they weren't working out. And I remember Freddie hitting me up and like, yo, we need somebody that can play. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. you're solid, you know, whatever. So they invited me to come out and 
be a uh, touring musician with Hazen Street. Sure. And I, and the Ragman thing kind of got dropped at that. It wasn't yeah. like intended to be dropped. Yeah. But it, we ran out Hazen Street the rest of the year. Yeah. And then when Hazen Street kind of ran its course with those guys, we went full tilt back into Mad. Right. And yeah. so that's where that was the death of Ragman. Right. I had Busky on not that long ago. Right. And and when we were all said and done, he was talking about every other band that he was in, everything. And then as soon as we were done. He was like, God damn it, I forgot all about Ragman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, completely forgot about it. Yeah, so Busky, like, gosh, Busky was the guy that, so we, the uh, bass player on that was uh, Bulldog from Earth Crisis. Gotcha. And um, he said from the get-go when I asked him to play on it, he said, I can't tour. Right. Say, yeah, no problem, just play on the record. You know? yeah. Let's just see where it goes. Sure. And then when we needed somebody, I think Bulldog was the one that, because they're both Syracuse guys. Yeah. So Bulldog was like, hey, my, my boy Busky is a good bass player, and so he got it. Yeah. Busky did the majority of the the show's right base for us yeah so huh so and he's a, he was a, he's a big proponent of it yeah Musky loves it to this day I know <laughs> yeah. he's, he's always you know been you know in my ear like yeah we should do some more of that someday yeah so you think it'll happen i i don't know you just can't you I don't have know the crystal yeah. ball i don't know if you're gonna get the the same characters right in the same room but right probably not gonna happen but. right i got you but i appreciate it. anytime anybody tells me that it's a real proud moment because that's something that i did from the ground up, without you know any, it was, we, we made it from scratch. Yeah, there was no, uh, you know, there was it was like I joined Scarhead after it was a, a band already. I joined right. Crown of Thorns; it was a band already. I joined Madball when they were a machine already. Yeah, sure. You know what I'm saying? That was something that, yeah, my name and the names of the other people in the band helped it get off its feet. You know, get on it, get get off the ground. Right. But you know, we did it from nothing. It was, yeah. You know, just uh, made a record, put it out. And people still like it, so yeah. I'm honored. Yeah, oh, without a doubt, man. It's good shit. I remember as you were talking, because you say Mackie, and because Mackie was playing for Hazen Street and this and that. I remember it just came back. I completely forgot about it until you were talking about it. It was, it was when the Black and Blue Bowl for a couple of years was at that place, Studio B. Yeah, in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, yeah. Greenpoint, right? It's, I, Greenpoint. I, it's, it's something like it's Greenpoint. Yeah. So I was there for the couple of years that it was there, and it was it was the show. It was like everybody gets hurt. There was terror was on that man ball, and then there was like this whole like the there was like this, I guess a rumor or people kind of had an idea because it was Riggs' final show. Oh, I remember that. I remember that because I was standing yeah. right there, yeah. and then he he handed the fucking drumsticks to fucking Mackie. Yeah. And I was just like, holy shit! Like Mackie's a manble now, yeah. crazy. Yep. So I don't know how long that lasted, but that was that was like a moment. I remember. Mackie was with us for a year. Okay, he did a, he did a full year, pretty much from beginning to end. I remember like the, it was like February, March, where we were working the songs in with him. Yeah, and then we did you know full spring, summer, fall, bunch of touring, and then by the end of the year, he it just wasn't working. Yeah. He was, I forget what happened. He, he was, he had something else going on. Right. Was like, all right. Yeah, all right. It was the novelty of it. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. We all grew up watching this guy play. Of course. You know, so we're all, no matter whether anybody wants to admit it or not, you know, yeah. an amount of fanboy in us all. Oh, absolutely. And the guy's a legend of a drummer, so it was, you know, I mean, even me, like, I played in, I played with him in Hazen Street. Yeah. As well, but even, like, looking back, you know, in Mabal, looking back, this is fucking it's ridiculous. I went to see this guy play when I was, uh, uh, you know, bought a ticket. Oh yeah, so it was cool. Yeah, whenever I see Chromeg's quote unquote JM, I'm always watching Mackie. Yeah, all the time. Like I saw him at This Is Hardcore, and I'm just like, I'm on the stage, I'm just standing, I'm just watching him. It's yeah. just like, 
It looks so easy. One of my favorite things in the world is to sit and have music discussions with Mac. Oh yeah, his, his, his. I would love to have him on. I never, I never, I don't know if he would even do yeah. a podcast. Yeah, I don't know. you'd have to get him at the the perfect moment. Yeah, um, but you know, just his musical knowledge of of all music. You know, he's a student of music. He's not like you know just a hardcore right. hip hop guy. Like right. that dude knows every form of music there is, and he, he's he understands the, the you know the angles of them all and. Um, He's a very well-rounded music person, and I loved. I remember Hazen Street. We did the Hazen Street Warped Tour thing on a bus, and me and him would sit up. Once everybody was asleep, we'd be just plug the iPod in and just start going through songs yeah. and listening to music together. It's, it's, it's an experience. Yeah. So I don't know if he even listens to podcasts, but if you listen, and I want to, I would love to get you on, man. Yeah, man. man, without that, pick that dude's brain. Yep. So now once you get into Mambo, now it's, now you're in. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Like, yeah. did you realize, all right, this is it, this is what I'm doing, like, this is how, I mean, I'm sure that you came home and you worked or something, like, you probably had a job. I didn't at that point. You, know, you like, didn't? The first, the first bunch of years, I kind of dropped my career. Okay. Um, when I, for, even going back as far as Crown of Thorns, Scarhead, I was like, oh, I'm a musician now, let's go with this. Sure. It goes, and like, I, you know, weren't making millions of dollars, but, you know, I was making money playing music. Yeah. And so, um... I didn't. I didn't get back into my job like what I'm doing now, as far as like production work and things like that, freelance production work. I didn't get back into that till about 2009. Okay, and, you know, just even though I was still at that point going full tilt with Madball, it, it just you gotta at a certain age you gotta be making money whenever you're Dude. doing something. You can't oh, just. Of course. Very few people can afford to go on the road come home from tour and just sit home and veg. Right. And even the big, even the, the biggest rock stars in the world, they come home from tour, they got something else cooking. Of course. They got something going on sideburners. Yeah, you know, so without a doubt. And plus, you're not 15 years old. You don't live with mommy and daddy. Like, exactly. You have bills to pay. Exactly. You do it for the scene. Like, exactly. come on, dude. Um, you know, yep. you know, you know, the schoolyard games are over. But the know? first, the first, after that Hazen Street experience, which was like 2004, 2005, we went full tilt from there. It was like we put a record out in 05. What was the first thing you seven. recorded with Manball? The we did the New York Hardcore EP. Okay, right. Um, in 03. Okay. That was just to get something out for the comeback. Right. Like we had come back and they wanted to get something to release. We went to, you know, we had a Europe tour lined up. It was like, let's get something going. Here. Sure. But the first full record was uh Legacy in two thousand five. Sick. And that's you know, that's something that was it was so cool to see. The way Madball operated, like I told you how crazy Scarhead was, where we were, you know, writing songs in the car on the way up. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. This was Madball where we got a studio yeah. and we went there every day and we sat there for five hours and we wrote songs right. as a four piece. You know, the four of us sat there and we we would, it, it was like, we ain't leaving. If we're not feeling inspired today, that's cool, but we're not going to leave here. Right. We're going to sit here and look at each other with the guitars on. That's all way a quote. <laughs> you know, like, really, you know, like, they really, they looked at it like a job. Absolutely. You know, well, you got to like, take it serious, yeah, man, sure. Yeah. And you're paying for this this studio, so you got to use it. Yeah. So we spent about two months writing, and then we hit the studio, and by the time we got into that studio, everything was, like, not only fully finished and written, but we'd been jamming it for months. Like, you yeah. know, that's the way you really do a record. Yeah. Is you got to, not only you got to finish the song and have it be ready, but you got to play it a lot so you get the kinks out. Of course. You know, it's like you, it, it, a song takes time to ferment. Yeah. It's like wine. You know, you can't just 
finish it. Okay, well, we got verse, chorus, verse, beatdown part, ending part. All the lyrics are done. Let's go record it. Right. No, you got to play it and play it and play it and play it and feel where the one part's supposed to push. This part's supposed to lay back. That part's got to emphasize. And once you played it enough, so the songs on that record, you know, if you were to hear them or even when I was still in the band, when we play any of those to this date, they sound the way they do on the record because sure. the, the way they went on the record was the way they should have been finished. Right. You know? Yeah. and stuff, great, great stuff we put down. But when we record some of the, the stuff on that Scarred album is the second or third time we ever played that song in its entirety. Right. Because it just, we just finished it. And yeah. then we went and recorded it. And so you listen to it four years later and it sounds so different and it's got like such a better flow to it because you've learned all the different you know, as I say, the, the the ins and the outs and the ups and downs of it, and you know all that, but that's the way you really should do a record, is write it, record it as a demo, and then play them and play them and play them and play them, and then record them and put them down forever. Right. So that we did that. And we, you know, it was like, it was album cycles. I had never been in a band that had, had an album cycle. Yeah, like, that's you, a you different re- thing. wrote the record, you recorded the record, you hit the road in support of that record for the next two years. And then at the end of that cycle, you got did it over again. Got back in the studio, started writing again. You started, you know, putting the songs together, written the same thing, just repeat. Yeah. Um, and we did that for uh, damn near 10 years. Sick. So when you when you guys put out the New York Hawk, if you guys go to Europe for it eventually, correct? Yeah. As the comeback, are you guys still in, van, in a van? Um, or are you no, guys back I, on the bus it, yet? It depended. It, it, it depended on the size of the tour. Right. We would do some like short stuff in a van over there, but the bigger shows, I mean the bigger tours, um, and the festival tours, we were doing uh, in in a, in a bus, which would have, bus. which is probably beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It, it's beautiful. It, you know, it's got its uh, it's still touring, of course, no matter what. Of course, it's still it's still rigorous and it's still tiring. Um, it's just you know you get to sleep. During the drive, instead of staring out the window or being, you know, whatever. The, the big advantage to it is that you, the bus usually drives overnight. Yeah. So you wake up and you're in the city and you've got your day to yourself. And then, you know, you play your show, you take a shower, you get in the bus and it drives. Right. So, you know, I preferred that. But but it also comes out of your pocket, too. You know, it's the, those things are expensive. And of they're course. not, there's no record company paying for them like people think. Or right. Whatever, it's coming out of the tour budget. Yeah. So... Yeah, who who you guys signed to at that point? We were on Ferret. Um, Ferret, that's right. In the mid-2000s. And then Ferret became Good Fight. Good Fight, yeah. yep. And then um, we did... Uh, that was... So we did... We did Legacy, Infiltrate the System, were on Ferret, I believe. Okay. Good Fight, I think, put out um, Empire. And then Hardcore Lives, by that point, I think was Nuclear Blast. Could be, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, and then that, yeah, nuclear blast. I hope I'm, not, I hope I'm not screwing up the, <laughs> the, the third one, Empire. But you can look it up. Yeah, yeah, really. It's yeah. So now, what was your, I guess, reaction, or what? What was the band? I know you can't speak for anybody, but obviously you were there. What was like the the sense around, like, when you guys 
how did you guys come across or get onto that Limp Bizkit corn thing? Oh, yeah, that's a crazy story. Which I thought, you know, on the corny internet and all that stuff, I thought that a lot of people who aren't hip were going to give you guys shit for that. But which which I was like yeah. more power to them. Yeah, like, are you kidding? Like, like the things that that Manville accomplished yeah. to be playing those big stages, more power to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I didn't really see a lot of shit talking, no. which I was glad yeah. to see and, that. And you know what? People surprise you too. I'll, 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 before I get into that, I'll tell you when they when they did the Hazen Street record. Yeah. They thought that hardcore kids were going to shit all over it because it wasn't it's hardcore. It's a great fucking record. All the hardcore kids loved it. Yeah. 99% of hardcore people I know love that record. Yeah. it's the It was supposed to catch the attention of the pop world and the, the <laughs> you know, like that whole thing. I don't know whether that happened, but the, certainly the, the hardcore world. They had, had a nothing. nice run, though. Hazen Street had a yeah. good, nice run. No, that's a catchy ass record. Oh, it's fucking amazing, oh. dude. But so that, I'll tie that back in. So the, nobody ever, we had no, nothing but. Support for uh, doing that Limp Biscuit corn thing. Um, that came about one of our one of our bros, Big Chris, um, does security for people sometimes, um, and he was doing security one summer for Fred Durst and uh, Limp Biscuit, and he tells the story that they were on tour on a festival, and <clears throat> Agnostic Front was playing, and our boy Chris overheard Fred Durst be like, "Oh shit, I gotta check out Agnostic Front." They're playing today, and Chris is like, like, give him a double take. Like, what? You know who that band is? Yeah. And Fred yeah. Durst was like, yeah, I know Agnostic Front. Like, that's one of them, you know, gave him all the credit. Like, you know, they're, you know, legendary hardcore band. And so Chris was like, oh, you like them? Like, you should check out. These are all my boys. Like, yeah. this is my family. And he so he started playing them stuff, and he, he gave him a Madball CD. Like, check out my boys' Madball. And Fred Durst liked it. And he, and he was like, yeah, these guys are good. And the more he listened to it, and then he asked Chris to, to meet with Freddie. It's like, the story that I heard was they were going to do a, a Europe, uh, it wasn't Europe, it was a UK tour. Uh, England, Ireland, uh, no, it was England, Scotland, and Wales. Okay. And um, they were going to do a tour with Corn, like kind of that like nostalgia throwback thing. Yeah. And there was a, there was a debate over who would headline it, and Fred Durst Went, told the corn guys, he said, I don't care. You guys can headline it, but if you guys headline it, I want to pick the opener. And that's how he, and he, so they say, he agreed to that. And it was they corn headline, and he chose Madball to be the opener. Wow. So, and I got to say this like, you know, I've seen arena tours. I won't say the band, but when we did Hazen Street, we did an arena tour with a band that treated you the way you hear the stories about. We had four red lights in the grid over us. Nothing moving. Just four lights that just went on. Right. We had about two feet of, sta- of stage. Because they have all kinds of whole, shit. Uh, yeah. Behind their, you know, their whole setup behind you covered for, you know, nobody wants to see that. Right. There were no moving lights. We were only allowed, like, a certain amount of channels on the on the console. Oh, you know, really? Really, really limited. Limited, yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's what headline bands do to openers. They don't want the opener showing them up. Right. And, and the openers also, you know, there's a, a lot of different interests. They're probably, they're paying for all that stuff. Sure. Why do you get it? But anyway, that Corn Limp Biscuit tour, it was like a three-band fucking tour. There was none of that. We got a sound check every night. They put a light guy to run this huge, massive light rig over us, uh, just like we, were, just like Limp Bizkit, just like Corn. Wow! You know, um, the 
the, you know, the, the sound crew, the, the, we were taking care of, like, we, we were equals with those bands. That's great. And that was all because of Fred. Yeah. You know, he made, he made sure that they, that we didn't get, get clowned or nothing. Right. You know, we had our own dressing room every night. You know, there was never any problem with, um, accommodations, um, you, you guys know, got fed, fed and all got that. Fed. Shit. It was great. We went on, and another thing too, I've seen a lot of the arena tours where the, the first band on an arena tour plays for sixty people, like the ushers in the building. Right. We went on an hour after doors every night, and the the, the least amount of people in in the place when we went on in any of those shows was maybe 50, 60 percent. And by the time we were finishing, the place was full. Really? Yeah. And that's, that's twenty. That's twenty thousand people every, every night. Yeah. So it was. It was amazing. It was an incredible experience. Yeah. So so props to fucking fucking Fred Durst, man. Fred Durst and our boy Chris that, that made it all happen. Made it all happen. That's amazing. Well, cool. Hey, right, just a couple more minutes, and, sure. then, and then I'll let you go. Sure. I don't want to hold you hostage here. Right so what do you like? What What do you? I mean. What are you doing now? Do you have any ideas about other bands? Like, you know, what's going on now with you? So, I'm not, you know, I'm not touring anymore, and I'm not with the band anymore, but I'm still producing, mm-hmm. and I'm still writing music. Okay. Um, I've, I've, I've been producing, you know, I told you the early days of, you know, doing Sub-Zero and Dark Side. Sure. And those bands, but then um, I started to get back into it about 10 years ago. Um, you know, just another thing, got to, you know, keep things going on all the different burners. Yeah. Um, I produced, um, let's see, what have I done? I did an Italian band from Rome called Strength Approach. Okay, I've, I've heard done of them, a, sure. I've done a couple things with them. I produced a band from Holland called All For Nothing. Okay. I did a, a record for them. And um, and then the most recent thing I did was this band from Tel Aviv and Israel called Eternal Struggle. Okay. Um, they're a band that reached out to me and they, they had heard about stuff I'd done um, with other other bands and whatnot, and uh, asked me to come over. I went to Tel Aviv last year. Sick. Produced a record for them. Came out really good. Um, it was mixed by Tua Madsen, who's an okay. engineer that's done like the last bunch of Sick of It All records. He did the last Madball record that they put out um, for the cause. Yeah. Um, he, he mixed it. Sounds incredible. So they're shopping that right now. That Hopefully that'll be out early 2020. Nice. That's good shit, man. Yeah. So what do you do now? Right now, I'm a, yeah, you know, in New York here, I'm a freelance production person. Okay. I do about, I, I work about 11 different jobs. Okay. Uh, anywhere from a stagehand, I work in video, I work in audio. Okay. Um, yeah, you name it, just yeah. whatever pays the bills. So, so if people want to get their record produced by Mitts, how do they go about doing that? Just reach out. Reach, reach out. out. I, I, yeah, that, that, that last thing I finished, uh. Finished up about halfway through this year, and I got nothing, nothing on the uh, schedule. So I'm, I'm definitely looking for a new band. Anybody wants to work, um, it's it's really fun for me to work with younger bands. Yeah, you know, and just kind of pass on what what I've learned as a musician, as a recording musician, touring musician, as a songwriter. You know, everything I've done in my career, it's fun to push that and 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 see how I can impart that on. On bands that are yeah up and coming. Well, like well, one last quick question: what what do you what do you think of the? Because obviously there's an evolution and things change. What are you thinking of like all these newer bands like that have been coming out? Like there's a different sound to hardcore sure. nowadays. Sure, very very metal influence. No, sure. What do you think about that? A little that, bit of thoughts for 
five minutes. Sure. I mean, I, you know, I might not take to it. It might not um, catch my ear, but you got to always remember, you know, when we were 15 and 16 and 17, the bands we grew up that we consider legends now, there was the older generation looking down on them, thinking like, this shit's noise. Right. You know, if, if, if people grew up in the 70s listening to like, you know, the Ramones and Black Flag and, and that kind of stuff, when they heard Agnostic Front, they probably thought this was fucking complete garbage. Right. You know? Or, the Liberty and Justice record. Yeah, like, you know, what like, the fuck? Yeah, or, or the Cro-Mags or, yeah. or Leeway, you know, they're like, what is this? This is heavy metal. What is yeah. this garbage, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I try to keep an open mind. I try never to judge any any modern incarnation of, right. of hardcore or metal. You know, music is art, and it's to be interpreted by the listener. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you can like it or don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, generally you have to respect something. If something's a finished product and it's out there, that means that four or five guys spent, you know, a great deal of time putting it together and making it into something that they believe in. Yeah. And whether, I, you know, I might not like it, but if, if, it, if that music sounds to them, to these kids, the way those bands sounded to us when we were kids... Well, that's great. Yeah, who am I to knock it? Yeah, I yeah. can't knock it. Yeah, it's like like say I feel I feel like the exact same way. It's like some of these new bands, some of them are really good. Yeah. Some of them not for me. Yeah, I, I don't talk shit. Yeah, because who am I to talk shit? I don't even have a band. Like who yeah. am I anyway to talk shit? Yeah. But you know, there's 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 a, there's a couple of bands that I saw recently. I didn't really go there to see them. It was a, this is hardcore the last couple of years. And I'm standing there, and there's nothing but feedback. They're not even on the stage really playing it. And there's feedback. And there's 500 kids beating the shit out of yep. each other, going nuts. Yep. And I'm like, you know what? This band isn't for me, but more power to all the beautiful things. All you kids are loving it. That's amazing. 100%. Yeah. Yep. That's like my AF in 92, one voice. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So, awesome, man. Yeah, man. So now, is there a song that I won't get in trouble with that I could attach you know, on to um, the end of this song, a band that you were in. A band I was in. Well, you could pick any of the Madball stuff from from those those records I said, or Wait, any of the. It's your show, my man. You uh, got to pick. I'm putting you on the spot one. now, Mitz. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one that a lot of people. Well, pick two. No, no, I got one for you. All and right. you pick the second one. Um, on Madball Legacy, there's a song called "Damned." Okay, and that's a song that we never played ever once live. Really? And it's a song that me and Freddie wrote in Freddie's old apartment in Brooklyn when Freddie was living in, in uh, Greenpoint. And um, it's it's a real dark horse. We never played it. And um, we get a lot of people that would always say, hey, man, I want to hear that song. I want to hear that song. So play that one. So damned off of the legacy right Off of legacy. And never played live ever? Right. No, we never played it live. Not once. Why? I don't know. It just, you know, when you... <laughs> When you do when you do a record, you know you have a handful of songs that everybody kind of says this will go, this will this will fit in to the live set, and then you push those, and then the ones some of them maybe fall by the wayside, and then there's ones that become like the, the staples. regular staples in the set. Yeah, and we that song just never got got brought in, and then it was like, hey, you know, we should play that, and you know, maybe people didn't remember it or whatever. Right, it just never got played. All right, but that's that's a dark horse Madball song. That awesome. That I, I'm, nice little I'm deep cut there. Deep cut, exactly. Awesome. Now, last thing, where can they find you? Like all that stuff. Like, 
Your Instagram, you're, you're what? Mitz underscore Madball. No, Mitz underscore seven and the number Mitz seven. underscore seven. Yes. Okay. Mitz Facebook. Are you full? You might be full. I'm almost full, but if you find me on there and, I, and you, you know, send me a send me a thing, I'll you know I'll try to add you. Right. But as far as the Instagram goes, you know that's that's easy. You know, I always answer those. I, you can follow me. I'm not like you don't have to request it. Right. Anybody can follow me, and um, anybody writes me a direct message, I always write them back. Right. You know, yeah. You know, it's an honor for me that anybody cares what the fuck I'm doing. You know? <laughs> well, listen, man, you're in legendary bands. You, you, you have a, you know, you have a story. You, dude, you're like a legendary guy. Thank you, man. In the New York hardcore scene. It's like, Thank why, you. why wouldn't people who are into this whole thing, into this shit show of a genre, how crazy it could be sometimes, you know, sit down and fucking have a discussion with you, bro. Right. I appreciate you know? it. I so appreciate I hope it. that everyone enjoyed this. And I appreciate your time, bro. Yeah, man. No, thank you. Anytime. All right, bro. And we're over here now. Hey. Hey. Same person I used to be.